Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Shooting the Breeze. I'm Cody. And I'm Sawyer. And we're just two guys shooting the breeze. And we have a very special guest with us today, Mr. Coleman Jones. Jazz to be on the show. Dude, we're, we, we, we've been waiting to have you on. I feel like we've been talking about it forever and it's finally... Since like the beginning we've been talking about it. Yeah, episode nine, we finally got Coleman Jones on here to tell us a little bit about the, the He's finance a busy man. world. That's all right. I was just taking some time to gather some information, make <laughs> sure I give you all some good advice. I'm excited. I'm excited. So before we dive into it, can you like kind of explore, like kind of elaborate on, on what your credentials are, like what, what kind of experience you have and everything? Yeah. So I uh, just recently graduated from the University of Georgia with a finance degree. Uh, shout out Terry College of Business. Sure. Um, so I graduated in December and then I worked at a local bank um, until about May and then I uh, actually started a job at the university and moved back to Athens, um, and I've been working there since. Really? It's you like enjoyable. it? Yeah, it's a good job. It's very busy, but I'm in the finance department uh, doing some stuff related to my degree, and uh, it's, uh, it's been rewarding, busy, and I get to work from home two days a week, so I'm about oh, as happy hey, as praise can God. be. That's, that's, that's going to be our God is good time. <laughs> that's, yeah, right that's our God is good time. <laughs> praise yeah. God. No, so you're definitely, you're handling this stuff on a daily basis and everything like that, uh, seeing it, you know, up close. So yeah, we're excited to talk about it today, kind of like run down that rabbit hole so people can learn a little bit more about investing, what to do with them. So money. we can learn a little bit Yeah, more. so we, we're literally just the audience, so... Um, yeah, guys. Uh, other than that, I was just going to let y'all know, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Music, Spotify. Um, we also have some stickers still available. $2 a pop, DM Shooting the Breeze podcast on Instagram, and we'll get them to you. But other than that, y'all ready? Let's do it. Let's go. All right, well, let's dive on in. So we're talking about investing today, the different types of investments that you can have and how all that kind of works. So, so Coleman, can you just start out by telling us like what, what types of investments are there? Yeah. So there's, there's different types based on how risky you want to be with your investments. And when I talk about risk, I want you to think about um, a chart. So just an X, Y chart. So the more risk you take, uh, the more potential rewards, in this case, um, growth in your account, or the more potential loss uh, you'll get with more risk. So more risk, you can get more reward or more loss. So there's different types of investments based on risk. Um, typically, uh, there's, there's kind of three main types of investments. So you've got your bonds uh, and CDs, these are generally what we refer to in the finance world as risk-free investments, um, especially if you're dealing with, uh, you know, government bonds, because um, essentially the U.S. financial system hypothetically should never collapse, and it hasn't collapsed in the, you know, uh, over a hundred years that the government's been issuing bonds. So. Even though everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's, gonna, it's, about, it's, oh, over. Yeah, it's, it's about to collapse <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, I mean, we've been through, you know, 2008. We've been through the 81 credit crisis, things like that. And uh, so far it hasn't collapsed. So I'd say we're on a pretty good streak. Hey, well, let's go. Keep but, it going. Uh, so I would put, I would put them in uh, 
kind of three tiers. So tier one is your risk-free assets, which are going to be your bonds and your CDs uh, issued by banks, which CDs are a little more risky, but they're not very risky at all. And our CDs, are those just certificates? CDs are certificates of deposits. Okay. It's, it works uh, essentially the same way as a bond, and I'll dive into that in a second. Um, so your tier two is going to be uh, a little bit more risky. These are going to be your mutual fund and your um, market ETFs. If you don't know what ETF stands for, it stands for exchange traded fund. Uh, this is essentially a big group of stocks that you buy into um, for one price, and then you own a little bit of all those stocks. Uh, and I'll dive into that later. Yeah. And then you have, uh, on the other side of investments, you can invest in things, physical assets like uh, gold, real estate, and uh, other you know, physical things that hold value and that you see a strong market for both buying and selling. Um, so okay. I'll dive into a general overview of bonds and CDs real quick. Okay. The, so, wait, my bad. Yeah. So the risk one was the low risk, which is bonds and CDs. Right. And then tier two was a little higher risk, but a little higher reward, but right. higher chance of loss, which right. was, uh, what'd you say, mutual funds, ETFs? Mutual funds and ETFs, yeah. Okay, so what's tier three? Tier three in terms of risk would be individual stocks because oh, okay. individual stocks are so volatile. Mm -hmm. um, now, some companies are better than others. I mean, you've got companies like Amazon who have been uh you know generally stable over the past whatever since 2000 he opened or 19 whatever he opened. yeah so, tesla yeah. apple tesla yeah i was gonna say yeah. google don't uh, get me started on Alphabet tesla or whatever. Don't oh really get me started on tesla uh -oh. oh elon that man's got twitter under everything man they sell cars but um you know ask anybody with a finance degree what they're worth on their on their paper stock value and it's it's in the negatives are you serious yeah. mm -hmm. what yeah I always thought Tesla was just this huge, big money-making company and everything like that. Oh, they, they make good money. They sell cars, but um, on paper, they're broke. They're really? always yeah. at a loss. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Learned something today. Yeah. Tesla, maybe not the best investment. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. So the, we got the three tiers, low risk, I guess medium risk, high yeah. risk being just singular stocks. Pretty much. Okay. And so you're about to break down what the, the bonds and CDs are for. Yep. I'll talk about bonds and CDs. Uh, so the best way I can explain a bond is um, you buy in to receiving future payments. So let's say bond A is on the market and bond A pays a yield of $50 a year, uh, twice a year for 10 years. And so... After the end of 10 years, you're going to have $1,000 back, right? So you get your price. In the meantime, it's also collecting interest. So this interest is based on uh, treasury rates, and I won't dive into that because it gets a little confusing. But um, So you get those payments back plus the interest. So you'll get 4%, call it 4%. So you'll get another $40 on top of the 1000 and you may be like, well, this isn't much if I'm only really making $40 uh, off my $1,000 investment. And you're right. It's not much. But the thing is, is it's risk-free. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Backed by the full U.S. Treasury system, uh, if you're buying Treasury bonds, it's risk-free. Right. Um, now, companies issue bonds, too. I won't go into that. That's a little bit different. Um, that's essentially a company issuing debt, and those are much more risky. They have a rating scale for those. Uh, it's quite complicated. 
I encourage you to look up um, Moody's Bonds, M-O-O-D-Y-S, and you can see their ranking system on that. You can look up how do they rank a company's bonds. Uh, you know, a company like Tesla is going to be down in the C range, triple C or something, where really? it's, it's barely investment grade. Um, but so, so you can buy and sell a bond like a stock? So you can, yes, you can buy and sell bonds. Here's the thing about selling bonds, and here's bonds aren't uh, always 100% risk-free. Bonds are risk-free in the sense that you're going to get your money back plus whatever interest you, you, you were promised in the beginning. Right. The, the way bonds still have some risk is, um, I'm not sure if, if you all keep track of like the economy when they talk about raising the rates or yeah, interest yeah. rates. That's all I hear um, now. I feel like yeah, yeah. Rates so are skyrocketing. Yes, interest rates are going up. But as of yesterday, Janet Yellen said we're hopefully in a in a soft landing and there will be no recession, which is good. But so let's say you buy a bond that pays four percent. Um, so you're getting forty dollars. That four percent is based off whatever the government sets their uh, rate at because that's what they're trading in between banks. It's a little bit hard to explain, but so let's say that they raise the interest rate from 4 to 5% and you bought that 4% bond. Well, now somebody else has the opportunity to buy a 5% bond at the same $1000. So yours is worth a little bit less. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where bonds start selling at um what we call a discount. They can sell at premium or discount, which means it's over or under its value. Discount is bad, obviously. Right. It mm-hmm. means you're getting less money than you could potentially get. So those bonds all of a sudden are worth a little bit less because if you had waited and the interest rate had rose, then you can buy one that yields 5% instead of 4%. Okay. So bonds aren't completely risk-free in the sense that there's always the opportunity potentially to get more off your investment but they are risk-free in the sense that you're going to get your money back, the $1,000, plus your 4% interest. Right. Okay. So that's... So like a good time to buy a bond would have been right before it dropped, the interest rates dropped down to like threes and stuff in COVID, because then you've got these ones that are at higher right. percentages, and then everything drops, so now you've got a premium. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if you're keeping track. There's, there's things called I bonds, which are based off inflation. So Mm -hmm. about last year at this time, uh, there were I bonds, which the rate is calculated off a combination of inflation and another rate, but they were yielding almost nine and some change percent, which is incredible given that the stock market historically has only returned about 9%. And like I said, these are risk-free investments. So you're getting 9% regardless. Um, those have since gone down because inflation actually has gone down and their rate calculation has gone down in comparison to last year. But, um, I mean, I know several people that bought those I bonds yielding 9%. Um, and it was a great opportunity to buy bonds then. Now they're going to be a little bit lower. Uh, bonds are still yielding well because inflation is not, uh, (laughs) definitely not gone as I'm sure most people know. (laughs) Yeah. But. Um, so when you buy the bond at what whatever percentage rate it is at when you buy it does that fluctuate or does it say the same no it is locked in so uh, locked in at whatever yes. you bought that okay it's locked in on traditional so those bonds. guys who when when it was at nine percent they locked it in whatever however many you know whatever the term was it called a term what is it or the life the um so the duration duration the, the duration is the term you're looking for yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah so those guys they yeah they got 
they cashed in yeah. on that, yes. that right there. But yeah. Okay, so bonds basically it's almost guaranteed that you're going to get your money back. You're going to make a little bit of interest on top mm-hmm. of that. Yep. And it's a very, so if you're a person that's like very scared about the investing ideas, you know, like the investing world in general, probably safe to start with bonds and, and CDs, which you're about to dive into. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I, I hesitate to use the word scared. Um, yeah. I mean, yes, you may be investing in low risk because you're scared, but you also have to think of it, um, you know, if you're near retirement age or you already have, um, you know, a significant amount of money that you don't want to gamble on losing, um, you know, bonds and CDs can be the way to go. Uh, You know, while working at the bank, and I mean, I can't disclose everything, um, lots of uh, the people who are getting towards retirement age would do CDs and bonds because they already have the money they need. They don't really need to grow their money much more. Right. And they just want to lock in uh, essentially a risk-free return. Yeah so, yeah. so I hesitate to use the word scared, but more um, if, if you uh, are less risky in your approach and you don't need to grow your money as fast as somebody else. Okay. So if you got a lot of money, you're sitting on a lot of money, you've, you've already grown your money, then bonds might... You're never going to lose money on a bond. Right. That's kind of what Correct. you're you saying. Just, you yeah. want a solid rate of return that you know that's never going to like depreciate that, you know. Yeah. So, okay. So that's low risk, right? So we got Correct. the bonds and then we also have CDs. Yes. And CDs are relatively simple. Uh, they're generally offered by banks. Um, so... A bank may offer a uh, 3% yield annual CD. So you go up to the bank, you say, I want to buy into a $10,000 CD. Uh, It pays 3% after a year. And the bank will say, okay, they'll take your money uh, and lock it up for a year. Um, You do lose the liquidity, but you can get your money out, but it generally comes with penalties. So they may charge you 5% and then you don't get your 3%. So you could potentially lose money based mm-hmm. on, the, on pulling it out early. But a CD is simple. Uh, you deposit the money. After a year, they give you your money back plus you know, 3% or whatever they're offering on the CD. Yeah. Um, and the risk here is that uh, unlike the U.S. Treasury system, uh, although banks are uh, insured by FDIC, a bank can collapse, um, and you could potentially lose your money if you're depositing over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which you know, yeah, would be strange in a CD. I was about to say you're putting a quarter million. I know or a over guy, a quarter million. I know in. a guy who just he's buying or he's bought five um, CDs at five percent, all ten thousand dollars. Yeah, for one year. So he's about to make twenty five hundred dollars. Yes, in a year. Yeah, I'm not gonna. My grandparents that they've already made all their money, but anyways, because of that FDIC, they they had to go to multiple banks mm-hmm. to buy CDs. That is true. And so um, that's another way you can do that if you're hey, if you got it like that and you got over a quarter million and you yeah. need to go to another bank. Hey, good for you. Yeah, but so for CDs, you're really just losing the liquidity of your money. Exactly, you, you don't have the liquid cash on you anymore. They get right. to hold it. And you said, I know for your example, you said a year. Can you do longer terms or short? Oh yeah, terms? sure. I mean, they have CDs up to thirty years. Oh, wow. Um, but they the rate you would be surprised because the rate increase is not um, stand out at thirty years. It may only be two percent more than whatever the the one or five year CD is. So yeah. 
Um, so generally, you, those are more for trust funds. So yeah. maybe grandparents are setting up a 30-year CD to one day give to their grandchildren. Um, but generally, I'm not a big advocate of, of CDs on that long of a term. Yeah. Uh, because historically, um, you miss out on a lot of returns. So, but yeah. it is risk-free. So if that's what you need and that's what you're seeking, then uh, a CD can be a great option. Okay. So if you got a grand laying around, you're not investing anywhere, you want to make three to five percent. Well, I say five percent is pretty high, but you know, you want to make three percent on a money on that money mm-hmm. in a year's time, throw it in a CD. It's potentially safe unless the bank collapses, which is I would say unlikely. Pretty, it's it's not common. It's not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I love uh, that. It's not it's not common. Okay. I would like to throw this in. Check out your local bank CDs because with the interest rates right now, a lot of banks are offering kind of crazy specials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like four and five percent for one year CDs. Um I know the bank I worked at was offering one at four point uh I wanna say one five percent. Yeah. Um, but go check out your local banks. If you've got, you know, a little bit of cash laying around you won't need for a year, which is hard to tell, but I would encourage you to look into some of those, especially while these rates are high. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to say my grandparents. They actually, and this is United Bank in Barnesville, mm-hmm. got a CD for five point one five percent. I'm not going to say how much money it was, but it was only for I want to say a year or yeah. eighteen months. It was one of those two. So yeah, I would definitely check in the rates. People right who got now. that liquid cash just sitting. I'm around. telling you, if you just got money sitting around like that, then because money just sitting around is money at this rate is just. You're yeah, losing it's actually, money. It's uh, sitting, you're losing money. What people don't realize is because of inflation every year, mm-hmm. if you do not invest money like that and it's just sitting in a savings account that accrues like what, 0.35%, 0.25%, you are actually losing money every year because inflation is at like 2% decrease every yeah, year or something like that. It's making your dollar it's, worth less. Yeah, so inflation, and I haven't checked the most recent numbers, but if I had to take a bet right now, it's around 4%. So unless you're getting 4% uh, annual yield on your investments, the the power of your dollar is decreasing. So, I mean, you're not literally losing money out of your account, but in principle, you are losing your buying power. Right. Mm-hmm. So for just, I want people to hear that. Let's say inflation is going down 4% in the year 2023. If your money is not making 4% or above. In the you, bank account you're in. Your dollar is is depreciating depreciating in yep. value that dollar is still a dollar but it's not worth as much mm-hmm. so just think about that if you make four percent on a four percent year that inflation's up you are your dollar just basically stayed the same yeah it's <laughs> to, to keep even. up with inflation so yeah that's our that's our low risk tier, and i like that you broke it down in tiers um so that's our low risk tier. we have the bonds and we have the cds and i guess with that that's going to move us to tier two, which would be, um, I guess, our mutual funds. Would index funds also fall into that? Yeah. So mutual funds, uh, index funds, and ETF are all kind of, uh, in in concept, interchangeable terms. So I'll kind of just do a very brief overview. So uh, a mutual fund, the easiest way I can explain it is if you've ever heard of something like the S&P 500, you know, you're like, what in the world is the S&P 500? The S&P 500 is the 500 largest companies uh, in the U.S. on the stock market. And so what the, what the mutual fund um, or index fund for S&P 500 is, is it buys essentially a little bit of each of the 500 stocks. 
So the S&P 500 is what we call the benchmark um, for the market. When you hear people talk about, well, the stock market's up, generally they're talking about um, either the S&P 500 or there's a few other indexes with more companies. Or what is it called? The NASQ? NAS- NASDAQ. Is that what that is? Yeah. Is, that, is that a part of that or is that it's, separate? No. So, so you hear about Dow Jones. You hear about NASDAQ. You hear about you know the Russell 1000. Mm-hmm. These are all just different um, style companies. So Dow Jones is more industrial companies. S&P 500 is largest, the 500 largest companies by market cap. Right. Okay. And, and so generally when people say those numbers, you know, the 250, the 500, that's just the number of companies and it may be pertaining to a certain um, division of work. Okay. So. Okay. I see what you're saying. So, so S&P 500 is the 500 largest companies in America, just a piece of them, not obviously right. the whole stock because right. <laughs> that stock would be worth like thousands upon it would, thousands it would of be, dollars it would be point. very expensive yeah right so they break it down they chip 500 a company like they have 500 of the biggest companies in the united states they chip a little piece of each one yeah. put them all in this one stock where you can purchase it and have yes. a little own a little bit of everything yes mm-hmm. okay so what, what's a what's a benefit of, of of a mutual fund or index fund over you know obviously bonds and cds at lower risk so generally speaking uh the market um, the stock market as a whole, and, and like I said, the S&P 500 is a benchmark, so I'm going to kind of refer to them interchangeably, although it isn't. It pretty much is. Okay. Generally, the stock market returns between 9 and, and 10% per year since it was started um, you know, over 100 years ago. Okay. Um, for example, I've got my account pulled up right now where I have uh, a couple of mutual funds that uh, generally resemble the S&P 500. And this year, which this is only a snapshot in time, but this year I've already gained a 15% gain over what I have um, at the last year this time. Now, the market was down last year because of inflation, Mm -hmm. and it's been recently up because numbers are getting better. Right. But um, generally over time, there is a 10% return, which is double or more what CDs and bonds offer. Here's where it can be risky. I don't generally advocate investing in stocks and mutual funds if you're only going to invest for six months or a year. Um, this is I'm a not, long-term investment. Yeah, this is, this is a long-term thing. Um, I don't advocate people day trading. There's people who are very good at day trading. That's why they're getting paid millions of dollars on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, people like me who have a finance degree, even I don't feel comfortable day trading. Yeah, because uh, there's so many factors that go into it, and really, it's it's gambling if you're buying single stocks, and I'll talk about that later. And so, for people that don't know what day trading is, that's basically you're trying to buy a stock when it's up, mm-hmm. and then you sell it right when it's up, and then when it drops back down, you buy it again, and yeah. like you keep doing that over. Um, and I think there's a lot of taxes and different stuff that goes with that. Yeah. I I probably didn't explain the best, but you ever seen like, the wolf on Wall Street? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. It's it's a complicated process, and one of the things I learned is uh, one of my professors has a doctorate um, in stock pricing and short selling from a university of of Paris, um, and I was pretty convinced when he was begging us not to day trade that considering he has a doctorate's degree and is a professor at the University of Georgia, yeah, making three hundred thousand dollars a year to teach senior level finance classes, 
Dear if he's God. advising you to not day trade, it's probably not a good idea to day trade. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fair. You got to have a gift. You got to be gifted for that. I'm yeah. telling you, you got to have a mind for it. And or it, just luck. Or yeah, luck. That's, yeah. that's what I it's heard. Because I've heard a lot of people that day trade, they just like, just drive themselves into the ground financially. Yeah. And you have to watch the stocks literally yeah. all day, almost well, every day. The whole time the market's open, yeah. Yeah, so, and I, I don't know. It's like nine four or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like basically a full time job. Yeah. Right. So, but but back to the mutual fund. Uh, mutual funds are generally stable because when you invest in five hundred companies, uh, let's say one of them's Delta Airlines, and let's say tomorrow Delta Airlines goes bankrupt. Well, if I was day trading or if I bought into single stocks of Delta, I'd be toast. Oh yeah. I'd lose my money. But if you're bought into 499 other companies, uh, you know, sure, it could ding it, but I highly doubt it's going to ding it because you have 500 other companies along with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there's a term we use called uh, systematic risk, um, and you can get rid of systematic risk uh, by having more stocks in your per- portfolio, uh, which is where a mutual fund is great because it makes it simple. You can buy into 500 companies at one price. And uh, statistically speaking, it's had a positive return of about nine to ten percent since the start of the market. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, for people, I always back when I first started investing, I was like on the app every day. Where's my money doing? What's my money doing? <laughs> and I, I, that's just how Stop I was. Stop lying. You still do that. I, I do do that. Not as bad as I used to, but you know, I would get freaked out when I see this market go down. And I was listening to a financial podcast, and he was like. He was he was talking to me. I feel like because he mm-hmm. was like people who look at the stock market all the time, freaking out every time it goes down. He was like Google S and P five hundred the past one hundred years. Right. He said yes. at the end of the day, it has only gone in one direction. He was like it's always went up. Yeah. Now there are times two thousand eight and others where mm-hmm. you know we had a recession, but you know he said statistically it's always going one direction. He was like you have to think about that at the end of the day. This isn't short term investing. You could argue that this podcast started because Cody checks his stocks every day because we used to have a phone call about where the market was doing every day. Yes, yes. And um so yeah, that's I like that that you know, S&P 500. I didn't realize that was a benchmark, but mm. 9 to 10% return every year on your money. That's incredible. That is. Yeah, that's incredible. Is. And, like, and there is periods of go years where let's say, you know, in 2007 to 2010, uh, you know, the financial crisis and things like that, it could be down 15% over the span of three years, but then you have your market rebound, let's say, uh, you know, 10 years later and pre-COVID when the markets were absolutely soaring. Um, see, that's where you may go from negative 15% to positive 20%. Mm-hmm. And although it is volatile, yes, um, generally you're going to get that 10% return per year over the long term. And if you're one of the lucky people to still have money to invest during those market right. dips and you bought into the low. market when it was so low, yeah. then you, your returns were just absolutely incredible. Yeah, crazy. So I did want to ask you this, Coleman. So when you talk about the S&P 500, there's 500 companies within that one, you know, mutual fund, right? Correct. Yeah. So let's say, let's take your Delta Airlines, for instance, say they went bankrupt. Are there people monitoring that fund and taking companies that are doing poorly out and replacing them with other companies that might be doing better? Or does the 500 companies stay the same? So the way they determine who gets in that big 500 is uh, their market cap size. So market cap is the stock price times the number of stocks outstanding that the company has. So if to make it simple, if the stock is trading at 
$4 and the company has a thousand stocks, their market cap is four thousand. Four thousand dollars. Okay. Um, these numbers, those numbers are nowhere near. Uh, <laughs> Very generally, small. when you're talking about market cap, you're talking in the billions. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Um, and I think Apple last year just hit one trillion in market cap. That's they crazy. were. It was either them or Amazon was the first to hit a trillion dollar market cap. So those numbers I just gave were not accurate. But for example. That's yeah, the easiest. A lot way to easier go math. Yeah, and math's very. Simple. I can't remember how often they they check the market cap, um, but that's how they manage who's t- who stays in that top five hundred is stock price times number of stocks outstanding. Right. Okay. So if you're buying into one of those, don't think that they're just keeping companies that are doing poorly in there. They trade them out if they do poorly for a long time, or another company does better. Even yeah, the four hundred and it or, changes frequently. Yeah, so so they're always trying to make it to where that that stock is producing the the, the best it can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was so that was mutual funds. Yeah. Yeah. And index funds kind of falls into that too. Yeah. So the index fund and S the S and P five hundred index fund or any anytime you hear index fund, that just means they're tracking the uh, the index. So the S and P five hundred index has the index fund, which is the mutual fund. So essentially, index fund is just another term for mutual fund. Uh, where it can get a little confusing, you hear people throwing out all these terms. Oh my gosh, you know, ETF, index fund, mutual fund. Let me break it down this way. The mutual fund, uh, a mutual fund is a group of stocks you buy into at one price. An index fund is essentially the same thing. You're just buying into the index, whether it's S&P 500, whether it's Dow Jones Industrial, Russell 1000, Russell 2000. You've got all these different ones, but it's still you're buying into companies uh, at one price. ETFs are exchange traded funds. Generally, the way we we think about these is um, typically mutual funds and index funds you have to buy through a uh, like a retailer. Mm-hmm. So as as you all mentioned in the last episode, Vanguard or um, you know Edward Jones or Fidelity, these these big companies sell uh, or have financial advisors that buy index funds and mutual funds for you. Um, I'm generally a big advocate of that, and I'll talk about that later and some of the things I do. But ETFs are are basically the same thing, mutual funds, except you're doing it yourself, basically. Mm. Um, that's the easiest way I can explain it. You cut so out the middleman. You can Google um, Vanguard ETF, and you can buy into whatever the S&P 500 index fund ETF and do it yourself. There's an advantage to this because... It's a lot lower fees, which the fees aren't, aren't, um, they aren't out of this world to have it managed by somebody like Edward Jones. But if you're trying to save every penny you can and you, you have some general common sense on what to do, um, ETFs are the way to go. Okay. Uh, and I am a big advocate of these because um, you can save a lot of money. And if you just buy into the S&P 500 ETF or, or some deviation of it generally you're going to get the same return that nine to ten percent per year over you know over the span of your life okay so etfs kind of doing it yourself cutting out the middleman um but index mutual funds you usually go through would would you call that a brokerage uh yeah okay Uh, yeah brokerage okay so and that's would you recommend one over the other yeah so um I, I personally, I could do ETFs if I wanted to. Um, I already have an account with one of the brokers, and I would generally advise people who, may, who aren't super, super familiar with investing 
to go to one of these brokers and have them set you up a an account and they'll kind of do some screening questions. They're like, you know, what are your goals? How risky do you want to be? Um, and they'll manage the fund for you. They do take fees, but it's not it's not a lot. Um, to, to guarantee, almost guarantee that your money is going to yeah. do well yeah. uh, for the most part. And yeah. not including the big market, but, you know, somebody investing in for you. Like, it's pretty, it's the, the price for it's not that, that bad. Right, right. I would absolutely recommend anybody to at least go have a conversation with, uh, your local investment representative, whether it's, you know, Edward Jones or Fidelity or some of these other companies. Um, I think it's beneficial for everybody. Uh, and, you know, it's never, you're never making a bad decision having somebody who's certified to make investments and who's a certified, you know, financial advisor or certified financial planner to manage your money for you. This yeah. is what they do for a living. They make their money off of you doing well in your investments. Yeah. So they're they they have what we call fiduciary duty, where they have to act in the best favor for you. Um, so it's it's never a bad idea to let somebody manage your money who's who's certified and who does this for a living. They make more money if you make more money. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to make you more money. They have they have nothing but positive intention for you. Yeah. People are like I don't want to give them my money. They just want my money. All this and that. No. Yeah. yeah they want your money because they want to make you money because yeah. that'll make them money. And like, I, I would like to throw this in there before um, starting my current job at UGA. I did sit down with a financial advisor and I was very close to going into that field. Um, and let me tell you, I mean, there's bad apples in every group, but, um, these guys really do care about their customer. They care about setting people up for success. They really aren't out to get commission. Yeah, they get commission. And so do a lot of other jobs, but they really want to see their customers grow and they want to see generational customers. So mm. I'm generally a, a huge proponent of letting, you know, an Edward Jones or somebody manage your money for you. Okay. I yeah. have a financial advisor. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's never. I a do bad as idea. well, and I'll talk about that later. But I have an Edward Jones account. Okay, yeah, and like you said, never. It's never a bad idea for somebody actually qualified. Speaking to take of which, care he of your said money. that he would be willing to come on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, your financial advisor. Yeah, I need to. I need to just get like four or five of these guys in here. We've learned so that'd much. Be fun. I'd take notes on that one. <laughs> um. Okay, so that so we went over tier one, the low risk. Went over tier two, the medium risk, medium reward, and now that would put us in tier three which is going to be our high risk, yeah. high reward. High risk, yeah. And and earlier when I said physical assets, I didn't necessarily group those into high risk. Um, but, I mean, some oh, of them are right. high Oh, that's right. You risk. did put yeah. gold and, yeah. and real I'll, estate. Yeah, I'll talk about those a little later and why I, I'm not a huge advocate of those for, for people our age, you know, 30 or less. But we'll talk about that later. So uh, your highest risk is going to be essentially individual stocks, Um and, uh, you know, you hear people say, I'm going to buy into some penny stocks. I'm going to spend $1,000 and then become a millionaire. Yeah, that happens to one out of every 10,000 people. But, um, you know, other than that, you're, it's pretty much a, a guarantee. You're just throwing that money in the trash. So yeah, individual stocks, um, pretty simple to understand. If you've ever seen a stock market, you see Amazon stock trading at whatever it's trading at. Um, let's say I buy an Amazon share at $200 tomorrow, it could be at $215. So you're at a seven and a half percent, or it could be at, you know, $185. So I'm down seven and a half percent. And, um, a lot of people will try and capitalize off of this and you can, um, but generally I don't advise trading singular stocks because 
most people don't have the proper equipment or capacity to to effectively trade and over time make significantly positive or just positive returns in general. Yeah, I've seen that like Elon Musk will put out a tweet and his stock will like soar because of the one tweet that he put mm, yes. out or he'll or some news will come out that's, you know, bad like sh- putting shame on Tesla, mm-hmm. putting shame on Elon and and his stock will like decline. So I will say I don't know if this is like a fact, but I would have to say social media has also a huge impact on singular stocks, which when you're talking about S&P 500, it's 500 of those stocks, mm-hmm. but you know, they balance off one another to to give you that 9 to 10%. Um, yeah, that that's the thing with individual stocks is there are so many external factors that have absolutely nothing to do with money that play into them that it's hard to it's hard to say okay, this company's going to do well over the next five years or, or whatever, because there's just so many non-financial external factors that it'll make your head spin if you try and get into it. Yeah. Okay. So high risk, high reward, like you said, was that, that was quick math. You said up seven and a half percent. You said yeah. if you buy it at $200 and go to 215, did you know that off the top of your head? Seven and a half percent. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it was know, running I that calculator. To, I had to go to school for this. So I hope I would learn something in a couple of years. I was at the great university of Georgia. There you go. Okay. All right. So that, that's our tier three. That's our high risk. Very, you know, simple. It's individual stocks. Right. And, uh, like they said, they can fluctuate because of the economy, because of how the business is doing or, External factors, like you were saying, just social media and crap like that. So, yeah, what you wouldn't highly recommend that unless you just got money to blow, I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's generally not a good idea because the risk versus reward actually, um, if you annualize it over several years, you generally get more um, reward from just index funds. So, okay. Okay. All right. And you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's my thing is how long could you keep it up? Yeah, that would be challenging to keep up. But you were talking about physical assets as well. Yeah, there's so there's uh, you can invest in physical assets. Generally, the, when people hear physical assets, they think of real estate, gold, um, things like that. Um, so it's hard to group those into a risk bucket because it's not all just percentages and, and interest and, and all this. So. Um, I think the most common you hear uh, physical assets that are invested in is going to be real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, while you're young, in my opinion, and when I say young, I'm, I'm referring to like 30 or less, I don't think real estate's a great idea, especially if you don't have a good bit of equity in your own house. Yeah. Because um, you want to take care of, of your, own, your own house first um, and, and get rid of a good bit of debt, but, and, you know, as you get older, once you get in a position where, um, you know, you've got some equity and, and you're ready for another form of cash flow, it, it could be a good idea. But what people don't talk about, yes, people talk about, and you hear, yeah, yeah, I've got rental houses. You hear, yeah, they pay me whatever, 1100 in, in rent. And, um, you know, you hear about a secondary cash flow. Well, you're also having to pay, you know, property tax, you're having to pay repairs yeah. unless you do it yourself and you still have to pay money for the parts or even you're paying a property manager. So while you're, you're young and your life is more, I'll use the word dynamic and, and things are changing, I'm not a huge advocate of just going out and trying to buy a house and rent it to somebody. Um, 
I think it can it can shift your focus to to areas where it probably doesn't need to be shifted. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, I know people that have owned rental houses, um, and it's, it works well for some people. Some people it doesn't. But um, but while you're probably less than thirty, you don't have significant equity in your house, or maybe you're even renting a house. Um, uh, I, I I wouldn't advocate for it. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh. Obviously, a lot of pros and cons when it comes to renting yeah. or uh, doing real estate, you know, renting out a house. It is you know. cool to hear that, though, because that's kind of the opposite of the narrative that's being pushed on yeah, it's like, social oh. media. Everybody's like, man, you need to, you know, buy a new house every two years and rent out the one you, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, so. by the time you're 60, you have 3,000 houses that you're renting <laughs> out at, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the biggest thing a lot of people don't realize with that is, like you were saying, like the property taxes, the maintenance that's every year. a lot year, of hidden... Um, Plus, like you got to realize, if that tenant decides to move out of that house, you and you have not you paid are. your own house off, you now have two mortgages you have to pay. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you have to be. That's why you're saying people over thirty, you got more <clears throat> cash flow and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You you can maybe take that on yeah. for a couple months, but for us, you know, we're still <laughs> we'd be screwed. <laughs> this yeah. only two it, years into paying my house off. Like, yeah, that'd yeah. be hard to. to it would juggle. be it would be a mistake at our age of you know twenty two twenty three to tie up all of our cash into something like a house where you can't uh you know houses are considered illiquid because I can't just post a house and sell it tomorrow. Yeah, um, yeah like hypothetically, you may be able to, but hypothetically, you can't. It wouldn't be a good idea to tie all your assets up in something like that. So. Yeah, and uh. I know we've been talking about liquid a lot, and I feel like people know what that is, but do you yeah. want to explain just in case people don't know what liquid liquidity of money is? Yeah, sure. Or assets? So liquid cash is, is the way it sounds. It's, um, you know, cash can flow place to place. Uh, you, you know, obviously your most liquid cash is going to be in your checking account or your savings account where I can run down to the bank, uh, you know, in an hour and pull that out. That's, that's the most liquid. Uh, stocks and everything else are pretty liquid. Um, you know, you can get those sold within a day or two or something. Um, and if you think about it, it becomes less liquid with bonds and CDs. Obviously those are not going to be liquid investments because, um, I mean a CD, yeah, you can go get your cash out tomorrow if you need it, but you're going to lose the money plus a penalty Penalty uh, that you're potentially going to get. Yeah. So, um, and houses and, you know, uh, large physical objects is that's, that's less, uh, even more or less liquid. So liquid cash is just, you know, what can I get my hands on today or within a reasonable amount of time? So liquidity is almost, uh, it's almost measured by time. Yeah. The, the, the amount of time you can get that into mm-hmm. a dollar bill exactly. in your hand. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah, obviously getting a house with the closing and uh, everything like that. That's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's basically all of our physical assets, right? And I know you Correct. touched yeah. on, like, gold and everything yeah, like that. I mean, but they all, all kind the of same. fall, yeah, fall into the same category there. And that, that the physical assets fell in, like, the medium risk, medium reward kind of. <sighs> It's it's difficult to put those in a bucket because gold is different than houses and houses are different than investing in commodities and stuff like that. Um, you know, in my opinion, you need to be uh, an expert in the market you're buying into if you're buying into physical assets. Right. Um, it's tough to group those in. I mean, a house, I guess if I could say risk, uh, 
you know, medium, medium, high risk, I guess it's, it's hard to put a physical asset in there because you don't really have the numbers. You don't have the percentages and you don't have historical returns of buying a rental house in whatever town you're in with houses. That information is just not available. There's so many variables with real estate too. It's it's, like, where is it? It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the market at? Like all those things. There's a lot of moving parts with that. Um, so before we leave today, I know you kind of broke down the different tiers and level of risk and what, what you can invest in in each tier, but like kind of explain to us like, you know, what you do, you got any tips or anything, yeah. you know, uh, kind of, you know, explain that for us. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I mean, I'll be, I'll be pretty open because I want people to have, you know, good sound advice, um, in, in my opinion, sound advice. But, um, so I'll just start with what I do to be completely transparent. Um, uh, right now, um, you know, I'm 22 years old, uh, I'm renting an apartment and, um, you know, at this point in my life, liquidity is kind of the most important, uh, aspect. So, um, I have kind of two types of investments. So, and, uh, I want people to go research this because it can be so beneficial, but number one, I have a high yield savings account. It pays 4.15% right now. And it's based off the interest rate that the Federal Reserve sets. So if rates continue to climb, I'll get paid more. Um, The reason I did a high yield savings account is because I needed liquid money, but I wanted, uh, and when I say liquid, I mean very liquid. Like I need the money possibly tomorrow or even the next day. Right. Um, You know, I think it's an advantage because it is paying 4.15%. But if I need it, I can go pull my money out uh, even today through an ATM. Right. and the one I chose is called Quantic Bank. Uh, you, have, you probably haven't heard of it. Uh, it's, it was ranked Forbes number one uh, e-bank last year. Oh, wow. Um, e-banks have an advantage because they don't have to pay employees to sit around and do nothing in an office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so they can pay a little bit better interest rates. But um, I would just recommend Googling, you know, uh, high-yield savings accounts um, and, and do your research and find that. But like I said, this gives me an advantage because I'm getting 4.15% and I can get my money tomorrow if needed. Uh, my second investment that I consider my main investment, I mean, other than, you know, checking accounts or whatever, which is, it pays nothing, but right is I have a mutual fund uh, or actually two through Edward Jones. Um, I have one that's classified as a growth fund. Uh, when you hear the word growth fund, think of it as risk fund. Uh, it invests in a little bit riskier stocks. Um, but generally, it's not. It's definitely not as risky as individual stocks. But it's it's investing in companies that um, are what we consider small market cap. Um, and I forget the classification. But when I say small, it's not it's not the small you're probably thinking of. It's like less than fifty million market cap or something. Okay. So um, that fund uh, is the first one, and then the second fund I have with them is just. Uh, essentially an index fund of the market um it's doing well uh annualized as i mentioned earlier in the episode it's at 15 percent. but you know since covid it had gone down a little bit but um it's something i've invested in for a long time um and i'll talk about that in a minute the importance of starting early but so my two investments right now are the mutual funds and then the high yield savings fund um as I get in, you know, as I eventually buy a house and kind of settle in and start paying that in, I'll probably buy into more market funds and focus on saving for retirement. Yeah. But, um, let me give y'all a few tips uh, and just kind of preach this right now is uh, 
you want to start as early as possible. Um, so there's a pretty cool tool you can Google, uh, and Bankrate has a really good one, but just look up Simple Savings Calculator, and it'll tell you if you save like $200, or you can put in any amount, but I'm just going to use $200 for a period of 40 years, annualized at 10%. 200 is, a month? 200 a month, okay. yeah, for 40 years, which, you know, 200 a month is a good amount. I believe it's doable for most people. 50 mm -hmm. bucks a week. Yeah. You got it? Yeah. Um, let's just say it earns 10%. So let me, let me go over this again. 200 a month for 40 years. So this is, a, think of an, a retirement account based off of the index um, at 10% a year. If you can save 200 a month, you'll have $1.1 million in 40 years. That's crazy. So there just think about that. $50 a week, you put that in an account yeah. every week for 40 years, you will have $1.1 million. But yes. how much of that is have you made an interest? What, what would it have been without the interest made? Uh, 96000 of pure principal. <laughs> so you put $96,000 in that account for 40 years, and at the end of the 40 years, you only put yep. 96000 and you have $1.1 million. That's, that's crazy. Exponential yeah. is the word I would use. Yeah, that is yeah. absolutely crazy to think about because, you know, and, and let me say this, um, that was at 40 years, right? So if you start when you're 20, 21 and 60, you know, 60, 61, that's the, you know, normal retirement age. Mm -hmm. um, let's say you say, forget that. I'm going to uh, just spend it all now and I'll start saving when I'm 40. Well, let's say you save the same amount for 25 years. Then uh, at the end at retirement age, you'll be at 240,000. So think about that. Compound. Think about two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. So versus starting fifteen years earlier, right, and having one point one million dollars, you start fifteen years later, you're only going to have a quarter million dollars. Yeah. So, I mean, you're losing you're out, out on a million dollars. Every, basically. I mean, really, you need to think about it. Like every year that I don't start investing in my future, I'm losing out on so and so. You're, you're cutting of, off an arm and a leg if you don't start early. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a great tip. Start early if you're gonna. Yeah, we're, if you absolutely. care about your future, we're and, big advocates for that. Like we, I feel like we say that every episode. Right, and like I said, we talk about money. Yeah, and and that was, and there's people that you know do five hundred a month. You know, um, yeah. yeah, If geez. you're doing, if you do a, a Roth IRA, the 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 max you can put in a Roth IRA is sixty five hundred a year. Mm -hmm. So you know that's five hundred bucks a month, a little over five hundred yeah. bucks a month. So. And you got to think think about the growth on that. But you're just doing 200 bucks. That's still $1.1 million. I mean, I don't know what you need to live off of for retirement. But, but <laughs> I'd you be more think, than happy. Yeah, yeah, by the time you're retired, you're, you're, your house should be paid off. Your cars are paid off. A lot of, You have a lot more liquid yeah. cash. And now you have 1.1. And another thing to think about is when you have that money, $1.1 million at 60 years old or what, mm -hmm. however old you are, think about how much that 1.1 is now going to make every single year. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's the power of compounding. And that's... That's why I'm such an advocate above all else, above, you know, deciding, well, do I want to invest in the S&P 500 or do I want to invest in the rest? Above all else, focus on starting early as possible. And mm -hmm. that's, that, was, that was the main thing coming into this podcast today I wanted to preach is save what you can while you can. Yeah, mm -hmm. I like that. Um, I think there's a statistic that it's like most of America's millionaires never made over fifty thousand dollars a year yeah or something like that and it's like um the majority yeah it, it's incredible what the power of compounding and and being consistent will do mm -hmm. yeah you don't have to have a lot of money you just you gotta have, to have a lot of time but you know yeah. just putting away that's when we talked about 
acorns yesterday when yeah. we talked about micro investing, right? Just putting a little bit of money in there continuously. And like I told told y'all yes or not yesterday, last last <laughs> episode about the the potential growth that that can have. It, it's just it's astronomical. It's no awesome. matter what you do, just start doing it. Yeah. And it, and and I will say this: if you can't save two hundred, save what you can and save yeah. as much as possible. Right. And you have to be deliberate about it. You need to be purposeful and. You know, if you set that money aside, you don't need to touch it to go on a vacation. You need to leave it there. Um, you know, I feel hundred to two hundred dollars a month is manageable for most people. Yeah. Um, the key is is don't touch it, let it grow. Yeah. I like that. And and I did want to touch back on that uh the high yield savings account yeah. just to give somebody perspective. Um uh, most banks, I know for Navy Federal, their savings account interest rate is point two five percent. Yeah. It is a quarter of a percent. So when you're talking about four point, I don't what one four point one five is what four, mine's paying. Yeah, four point one five. That is just that is crazy compared to what banks are giving for regular savings accounts. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna have your money in a savings account, at least make sure you're getting a good bit of interest to keep yeah. up with inflation and everything. Yeah. So yeah, man, that that was a lot of information. I know. Yeah. Um, and one more thing before we go into the God is good time, I'll just I'll give a couple you know practical tips on top of saving early. Um, send it. One thing I've started doing is shopping at Aldi. Uh, you can save <laughs> really? some. Yeah, you can save a lot of money. My grocery bill is about half of what it is at Kroger, getting the exact same thing. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, it's about sixty versus one twenty when I go to Kroger. So oh my it's crazy. Gosh. It's crazy, but. Um, never shopped at you know i would say shop your groceries um like i said earlier uh, start early on saving and um you know be deliberate about your savings goals set savings goals and when you reach them um have a reward you know go to a nice dinner go you know save for two years and go on a nice vacation so yeah um um, you know, you can you can turn it. Yeah, nobody probably just absolutely loves saving money because that's money you can't spend now. But um, nobody's ever angry at having money saved up. Yeah, when I, the uh, time comes. Man. I love that. Uh, I <laughs> I invested in one of my um one of my retirement accounts the other day, and it like gives me a little reward afterwards yeah. after I put deposit the money, and it was like your future self just said thank you or something like that, and I was like. <laughs> yeah. that, good yeah, i like that yeah, absolutely um but yeah like you said go reward yourself don't kill yourself and don't make your life miserable because yeah. you're trying to pinch every penny for exactly retirement. still enjoy exactly. life you know yeah, yeah it's doable um, but it's doable. but make sure you can enjoy life when you're retired as well absolutely there's there's a there's a fine line there but um but yeah man i that was a lot of information i know and and talking about all the different investing as investments you can have and everything like that but i i hope y'all took away some some of the stuff that Coleman was talking about today, because it really can benefit your future and, and how you live whenever you retire. It can change yeah. your life. It and, really can. And yeah. if anybody ever has any questions uh, or you have any questions about anything I said today, DM the podcast or DM me on Instagram, uh, Coleman underscore Jones 10, and I'll try and answer your questions. I'll be happy to talk to you. Uh, you know, I want everybody to be successful in the future and, and have a, a good, stable, enjoyable, and sustainable life. Man, you should have been a financial <laughs> advisor. See, that's what I would want my financial advisor to say to me whenever I'm talking to him. Yeah, um, maybe one day. Who knows? Yeah, but we're going to tag Coleman in the, uh, in the post for mm-hmm. episode nine, and y'all just go, go follow him, give him some support, and if y'all have any questions, just DM him or DM, you know, shooting the breeze. But yeah, that is going to put us in God is good time. So the story I have for y'all today is about a man from Texas named Jay Brent. Now, Jay Brent 
goes to this church, and I don't know the church's name in Texas, but he's been going to this church for quite, quite some time. And on one Sunday during service, he went to church, and they were doing worship. He was just praising and everything like that. And out of nowhere, he collapses in the aisle. And, you know, people start freaking out, like looking at him. You know, he's, he's not responding. People are shaking him. Nothing's happening. Well, there happened to be a medic at that service named Jarrett Warren. And Jarrett actually knew um, Jay and went up to him and started like checking his pulse and everything. And he was dead. No, no pulse whatsoever. And he checked, I, I, think, I think it specified a couple minutes or it, it said so many minutes that he was like ch- continuously checking his pulse, trying to give him CPR and everything like that. And he was like, this guy's gone. He's dead. Mm-hmm. So people just start praying over him. And I know when, when I start talking about this, people get a little, you know, oh, that's superstitious and whatever. But after, I want to say six or seven minutes of Jay being completely dead, no pulse, he came back to life. Completely fine, no brain damage, nothing, yeah. right? And the reason I looked at this story and found it intriguing today was because we had something similar like yeah. that happen to <laughs> yeah. us, and, and it reminded me of... like um, almost, It's almost exactly the same. Almost exactly the same. And, and Coleman, I don't think you were, you were here for this, but we were in Christ Chapel, Hamilton. Hamilton. The, fir- the opening service. The I've opening heard. service. Yeah. Heard. Okay. We're there. We're doing worship. I want to say the song was... Uh, rattle, bro. <laughs> rattle. Dry bones rattling, man, by um, Maverick. Is that Maverick City? Uh, elevation. No, Elevation. Elevation. It's by Elevation Worship. And in the song, it talks about real life resurrection. Yeah. You know? And there was this woman there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all just praising, eyes closed, arms I was up. playing the intro on guitar. Like, <laughs> I remember it so vividly. I'm on stage. And, and out of nowhere, this lady falls out, collapses completely. and we we were all we didn't even notice it like somebody had yeah. to come to the stage and was like all right guys we're gonna start you know shutting it down getting people out of here and we're like what what's going on and we look over there and this lady's just laid out on the floor mm-hmm. and thankfully we had dr ben williams shout mm-hmm. out ben williams he was there along with uh jonah jonah who was a yeah emt who's an emt and they start going to work on this lady mouth to mouth cpr everything trying to bring her back to life and i want to say she was dead for Around 10 minutes. Yeah. She yeah. was dead for a long time. Like, and if you know anything about that, like... Yes. I, I don't know what the when brain damage starts to set in. three minutes is brain yeah. damage with no oxygen. I'm telling you, it, it, it's, it happens quick, though. That's why, you mm-hmm. know, CPR and everything yeah. is so important to, to do right when, right when the incident happens. And this lady was dead for around 10 minutes. And we're all just standing there, like, in a circle around her, like, putting hands, like, reaching out to her and everything like that. And she, after about 10 minutes, she came back to life. And yeah. she was completely fine. And the crazy thing is, that, that, that was the crazy part, right? Her yeah. coming back to life. I would say right. that's pretty, that's pretty, it's pretty crazy. That's, it's, but yeah. the craziest part was is that she said that she, bef- she didn't know she was going to go to Hamilton that night. Right. She said, because that was a Sunday night we yes. went. Sunday night. And so I'm like, man, I, people are like, coincidence this, coincidence that. No, I think no. there's a certain point where it's like, hey, yeah. God is good. God and is I, good. I'm telling you, there's a... There's still resurrection power in this in this world, and yeah. and yep. and I'm I'm a faithful believer in that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to, I saw that story, and it reminded me of when we went to Hamilton. And I just want to say, God is good, man. God yeah. is good for you know still working in our midst. 
But yeah, Coleman, I appreciate you finally getting on the show with us, man. Yeah. It's been too long. We've been talking about it forever, but I appreciate you just coming on here and explaining everything for us, breaking it down so we can understand it. Yeah, if I can make a difference in one person's life or, or help somebody, you know, make their life more stable, I'm I'm all ears for it. So I'm glad to glad to be on the show and appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, man. Yes, yeah, we appreciate it. Well, hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Shooting the Breeze. I'm Cody. And I'm Sawyer. And we'll see you next week with another episode.